I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod. If you're watching live on Facebook, happy Tuesday. If you're listening to the show, then it's a Wednesday. I hope everybody's having a good day on their way to work, way home from work if you're at the gym. Whatever it is you're doing, I hope you're feeling blessed and you're ready to talk. Well, listen to us talk some Celtics basketball. As usual on a Wednesday, I'm joined by my boy, my guy, my co-host, my partner in crime, Mr. Will Weir, joining me all the way from Austin, Texas. What's going on today, Will? My guy, what's going on? I love that we got robed up Adam Taylor back on the podcast, on the live feed. If you're joining us on Facebook, you see my man Style is here and he ain't playing games. Yeah, it's the Jedi robe, dude. I, I keep telling people this thing is so soft, like ridiculous. It looks soft, man. I'll be real. Watch with you. The it looks hood. Very let's soft. let's not even mess around. Let me put the hood up. <laughs> it's all over the place at the moment. But like, I'm just this. How I'm sitting for the rest of the day. Like I'm comfortable, like super comfortable. Yeah. What I want to do is I want to lead the Celtics. Finish their game strong against Cleveland. Last few possessions, they come on strong, took the game over, finished off with that W to get back to the 500. So I want to start the way the Celtics ended strong. And what I want to do is I want to lead into this episode with what I usually lead out of an episode with. So what I usually do to end an episode is if you're enjoying this show, if you're enjoying watching to us, listening to us, interacting with us on social media, then please head over to your podcast listening device, preferably if you're on an Apple, and leave that five-star written review. Nice things make me smile, make Will smile, make the powers that be very happy knowing that the show is going well. Hit that follow button. If you aren't able to use a, a podcasting device that allows you to leave a review, that's cool. Word of mouth. Make sure you hit up your dog groomer, your yacht salesman, the person that rented you that Lamborghini last weekend when you went on that date and you wanted to look like you were you were balling. I don't care who it is. If they like the Boston Celtics, recommend this podcast to them. Furthermore, if you like watching podcasts rather than listening to them, we're live every Tuesday on Facebook. We're also live on my personal YouTube page at Adam Taylor NBA. I post every episode there. So every Monday, Wednesday, Friday episode, head over to YouTube. You can listen there. Our socials are on the screen if you'd like to follow us. And Will, over in Austin, Texas, would like to discuss some serious basketball stuff. Now, we've kind of fell into the trap the last few games, right? Where we're talking about specific players, what those players have done well, what those players haven't done well. And that's great, but it's a little bit reactionary, right? I feel like sometimes we can get sucked into that trap. We're only human. We love this team as much as everybody else. What are we meant to do? So I think today what we can do, and we spoke about this a little bit off air, is we can start by looking at identity. Myself and Will's best friend that operates on this podcast on a Sunday for the Monday episode, Greg, we spoke about some identity the other day. And then during the press conferences after yesterday's win, we were back hearing about defensive identity and how the Celtics want to hang their hat on defense. Well, what are you seeing from the defense that makes you all happy, man? Gives you those uh those warm robe vibes that I'm feeling right now. Yeah, man. No, I mean, first of all, you and Greg killed it the other day with some of your your breakdown here of of where this team is heading. But I think the, the number one thing with this team, and it's one thing that I think we're learning, especially as we look at these Cleveland games as an example, it's not always going to be pretty. You know, it's not always going to be picturesque basketball, but, you know, this team is going to muddy it up and they are going to try and make teams adapt to the way that they want to play. And that's defensive mind. That's the one thing we've known 
about Ime, about the way that he's wanted to coach, the style of coaching that he's brought to his rookie campaign as a coach is that we're going to be defensive minded first. So one of the things I want to grab here is from uh, from our guy, Brian Robb. He talked about Celtics. This, he tweeted this out earlier today. Celtics over the first seven games in which they went two and five, five and two in the last seven, two and five, the first uh, seven games of the season here. Offensive rating was 19th. Defensive rating was 27th. Net rating is 24th. Over the last seven games where the Celtics have gone five and two, that offensive rating 23rd has actually taken a slight dip, but that defensive rating is first in the league over that time, ending them up at the net rating of fifth. So what you clearly are seeing is that with this team, they are trying to find that that defensive mindset on every single possession. As you start to look at the Celtics throughout the season, if you look at their contested shots, they're in the top 10. If you look at their defensive percentages when it comes to three-point percentages, they're going to be in the top 10. They're in the top four when it comes, top three, I believe, actually, when it comes to blocked shots, and that's not shouldn't be surprising given Rob Williams and Al Horford's, um, you know, their, and their ability to produce on the defensive end. But that's what I'm seeing, Adam, is that this is where, you know, the offense is going to come. The defense is where this team is going to win the majority of their games throughout the regular season, and then they're going to work on finding that offensive identity as the season goes on. And I'm cool with that. Like, in my personal opinion, I'm like, hey, if we're seeing 90-point or less kind of shutouts, so to say, on a consistent basis, then Udoka has really found something that can he can build on throughout the season. And obviously, your first year as a coach, in my opinion, is very much about implementing your strategy, your theory behind basketball, and you really see the evolution in years two and three. That's usually my opinion. It's very rare that a coach will come in, like completely alter the way a team plays, and then go and win a championship that year. It does happen, but I'd like the Celtics never had a roster that was realistically capable of doing that this year. So Udoka implementing this defensive identity, I think the over-switching at the start of the year has been completely eradicated for the most part. That was kind of, a, a, I kind of contradicted myself completely for the most part. It doesn't really go. <laughs> it's been very, it's been eradicated for the most part. We'll remove the word completely from that sentence. Well, let me, let me, let me jump in to help you out for one second. I, I think it's been an adaptation. You know what I mean? I, th- I think, you know, you and I were talking about uh, off air before we got on here about how you build up certain habits and you really have to hammer it in over and over again. I mean, what's the I think it's the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule for you to go ahead and actually perfect something. And so at times when you're really trying to build a habit, you're trying to, to enforce something that your your body becomes second nature. You almost overthink it to the point where this is all I'm doing and that's what you're just so focusing on. But as you start to get more comfortable, you can start to make more adaptations. And I think for both the, the Celtics defense on the court and Ime's coaching style, that's been able to happen. Now that happened in a very short period of time from the preseason and the first couple of games to, to the defense that we're seeing now. But he also was very selective about the players that he's playing. You know, we, we've we've complained about not seeing Peyton Pritchard, not seeing Aaron Neesmith, but you look at the seven or eight guys that are all getting minutes, they all have some form of, you know, defense being a main part of their game that they hang their hat on. So he's been very selective about who those guys are that can build up those reps. And then I think within him just over-switching, he's adapted a little bit to make it, you know, to, to make it more sustainable because that wasn't going to be sustainable throughout the season. Yeah, that over switching, a lot of soft switches. It was a, it was just too much. I feel like it was a very confusing system. But as we spoke about a few weeks back, when I kind of used the uh, 
to tie boxing and jiu-jitsu analogy, sometimes you have to over-teach to refine rather than teaching bit by bit. Exactly. You teach a very extravagant version of something, and then you start taking bits away that aren't actually going to work. And what you're left with now is a very cohesive defensive unit. Uh, a bit of pre-switching going on on pick and rolls, I like that. Not much ice going on. They're not really icing corner pick and rolls that much. They're preferring to switch. Uh, they seem to know their personnel quite well. Like It's been very rare I've seen someone go under a pick and roll on a shooter and think to myself, what on earth are you doing going under on him? Like They seem to be very keyed in on what their matchup is, who their matchup is, and how they need to play them to limit their offensive ability. So I'm big, like I'm big on the way this defense has been run for the first, uh, well, for the last what five, six, seven games. I think they've been extremely well coordinated. Uh, the communication looks like it's great. I know everyone's like, oh, they're communicating great. Well, we're not on the floor, so we don't actually know that. <laughs> like, what we can say is, it seems like they're communicating great yeah. because people aren't scoring. So something's working somewhere, right? Um, I think the biggest question I've had for the last few weeks is that what is this offensive identity? Yeah. What are you trying to do on offense and how are you trying to do that? That second half against Cleveland on Monday, to me, was probably the most indicative of what Udoka wants the offense to look like long-term in terms of hitting the paint a bunch, being able to hit the paint and then distribute out to the corners. They ran a little bit of flex offense. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll, saw I put, yeah. you'll see I put a post there on flex offense. They ran some back screens. They much more higher pace, the ball was pinging around a bit more, and those off-ball screens that I have been begging for were in abundance. Uh, very big juxtaposition between the first half and the second half offensively, but at least we're starting to see some form of notion. Some form, like There's a paper trail that we can follow to kind of piece together this puzzle of what the offense could hopefully look like in a few more months. Yeah, well, let's let's go ahead and just throw out that first half. I had to go rinse my eyes out at halftime after that. I can't. I don't know if I can honestly remember the last time I was watching an NBA basketball game where both teams failed to reach 40 points in the first half. I mean, to be honest, we see it probably more frequently now that teams are hitting 40 points in one quarter. Now, then we actually see teams not hitting that mark after two completed quarters. So maybe we'll just put that to the side. Uh, but to your point, you know, Peyton Touches has, even with this team, and I know we're trying to get away from looking back at last year, but but even last year under Brad Stevens, what was the number one thing that when we saw this team show signs of being able to operate operate at a high level offensively, it was paint touches, and that was a lot tied to Kemba Walker at the time. But now what you're starting to see is that you can get that from multiple sources. Now, of course, the shooting is still going to be something that, that needs to, to be worked on and needs to be elevated, but... Getting those paint touches is going to create so many opportunities for the players that you do have. And you have a diverse set of guys that can handle the ball. It can get into the lane, not just, you know, your your top-tier stars. Marcus Smart can do it. Dennis Schroeder can do it. Josh Richardson can do it. Romeo Langford can do it. You know, he had a couple moments last night where he was able to get into the paint and start that swing action. And then off of that, you have dynamic big men in Rob Williams, who looks still, I'm just checking Twitter now to see if we have any update on his injury quite yet. I haven't seen one yet, but hopefully as long as he's okay, you have him as that lob threat or that roll threat to play off them. And then you have Al Horford, who can do a little bit of everything. He can pop out and hit the three. He can be a guy that comes around and sets a pick. So you have a lot of diversity in this offense. And then when you add in Jalen Brown, of course, you're going to add in one of the most dynamic players in the league back to that mix. So 
if this is where the Celtics are going, I hope that that's a good indication. You know, I still have my concerns about the shooting. That's probably not going to go away. Um, and I think that will limit certain things. But being aggressive, getting to the paint, and making sure and, and making the defense react and not be stationary is going to be a huge part of what this team or what it seems like this team is going to look to do. And you put for me, you hit the nail on the head, man. There's multiple guys that can do this for you. You you don't have to rely on a Dennis Schroeder or a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown. In fact, I genuinely believe if you can rely on Tatum and Brown less to do some of the penetration and creation, then you're going to get better offense out of them because they've got time to find their spots and wait for the kick out. You do have Romeo Langford, in my opinion, should be given more ball handling duties on that second unit. Not saying as a primary ball handler, that's what mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder's for. Maybe not even a secondary ball handler. But as a tertiary, you know, give him three or four possessions a, a game, maybe five, six possessions a game, and just let him yeah. develop that penetration with the dribble and tighten that dribble up, then that would be great. I mean, but the, the biggest thing for me at the moment, like if we're talking about last season to this season, the number one, like we have to mention it when talking offense, is who on earth saw Grant Williams becoming a, a plus 40% three-point shoot? Please tell me. Because this guy's been in the hyperbolic time chamber with Goku and Gohan, and he's come out of there ready to go Super Saiyan. I think he's been fantastic. He's at nearly fit. Well, when I checked yesterday, excluding garbage time, so this was before the Cleveland game, mm-hmm. he was at 50% from three on the corners. Yeah, and he's shooting just, just under 42% overall. You know, I mean, so this is something I was thinking about, and we've, we've already touched on this. We've touched on it in every podcast over the last two to three weeks, is. You know, we've been wondering how can Aaron Neesmith, how can Peyton Pritchard get on the on the court more because we want to see the spacing and shooting. Well, I mean, here's the thing: Grant's been given limited opportunity, and you know what he's done? He's made the most out of it. He's kind of forced his way to be like, "Hey, listen, here's what I'm shooting. Here's I'm shooting forty percent. I'm shooting fifty percent. I'm making you play me 20, 20 minutes a game." That's something, you know that. Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard in very limited and and maybe not un, maybe not totally fair context have not made Eme do. You know, and that's kind of that's on them. It's a professional. You gotta force Eme's hand to say, I can't go longer possession without these guys. And Grant Williams is doing that. If Grant Williams is going to hit 40% from three overall and be a 50% knockdown shooter from the corner, that forces your hand to go ahead and play him. So you know, I, I know Grant has been a guy that's had his ups and downs with Celtics fans over the years, but, you know, so far I have absolutely no problem with, with Grant being a guy that's getting roughly 20 minutes a game. He's he's earned it, in, in my opinion. Yeah, he's been one of the more consistent guys off the bench to start the season. I don't think anybody could dispute that. Uh, if they did, it was more out of a distaste for the way Grant plays than for actually what he's doing on the floor. And I'm cool with that, you know, sometimes you're just not a big fan of what a certain player's doing. I just want to get to this comment that John's left off Facebook. And for anybody listening tomorrow, or well, Wednesday, today, whenever it is, anybody listening on a podcast aggregator, um, I'll read the comment out for you, obviously. So John Lyle, I hope I pronounced that right, John. There's still no consistent bench play at the level needed. Al is the most consistent to date. Dennis is playing for a contract and needs to reduce the turnovers and increase assists. And I think this goes, the reason I'm, I've kind of picked up on this comment is because it goes back to what you were saying a moment ago, Will, where it's very much... It's a shortened bench rotation. So anybody that's coming in outside of that, that eight-man rotation mm-hmm. are getting inconsistent minutes. And let's be fair, these are young guys predominantly. Inconsistent minutes leads to inconsistent playing time. And that just seems to be the, my mentality on Neesmith, on Pritchard, 
And, you know, if you want to throw Juancho on for five minutes, it's inconsistent minutes, inconsistent playing like court time. They're just not going to produce at the level you need them to. And if they do, it's more of a flash in the pan than what it is what to expect because these guys can't stay hot when they're not playing on a game-to-game basis. Yeah, I mean, I mean here's the thing. So I, I do generally agree with you in that in that sentiment. But if you look at Aaron Neesmith over the last five games, he's one of 11 from three. That's supposed to be the calling card. You know, like I said, the guys that Eme is relying on, for the most part within that, that eight, nine-man rotation, all have some form of their game that they can say, hey, this part of defense or this is my this is what I hang my hat on. That's supposed to be shooting for Aaron Neesmith. And yeah, because he's a young guy, you know, it is. there's part of me that doesn't feel great that I feel like I'm criticizing him right now because I feel like there's a greater context to it. But 1 of 11 is 1 of 11. You know what I mean? If he's 4 of 11, if he's, you know, 5 of 11, whatever, at, at give something that he may is like, man, we really could use that extra shooting. But when you're shooting below 10% over the last five games, and yeah, you're only getting 10 minutes a game on average, but you have to be able to produce something in that moment to be able to make a coach like Ime say, I can't leave you on the bench. I need to play you more. And and that just hasn't happened yet. And so I think until that happens, the bench, I think in my opinion is probably going to remain pretty, pretty tight. Um, But to the, to, to, to our guy, John's point, one thing that I will think make our bench look a little bit stronger is remember, you know, this came up, uh, I don't know if it was pregame or postgame, but once Jalen Brown's ready to come back, which I think looks like it might be sometime this week, is that you know Dennis Schroeder is going to go back to that bench. Now back on that bench unit, you're going to have Dennis Schroeder, you're going to have Josh Richardson, you're going to have Romeo Grant. Like that's a solid you know four guys that are coming off your bench who are playing relatively well at this point. And so if you can go nine deep in the NBA on a game to game basis when you're healthy, that's pretty solid. And you know and that doesn't account for if we need to dip into the Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchers, and Enos Cantor, who I thought did a solid job in getting that that spot duty last night. You know, he came in, got a couple offensive rebounds, had a couple of points. Uh, you know, Enos is not a guy that that, that makes a lot of sense in Ime's defensive scheme, but to come in in a pinch, give you eight solid minutes, keep the boat steady, and then let Al come back in for the close, he got the job done. I think Cantor was quite good in his minutes that he yeah. played. Um, I, I think that, you know, playing in a role where Rudoka's kind of told him, like, hey, this isn't natural to you, so you're not getting minutes because the way I want defense isn't how you play defense. That is what it is, but being, like, as you say, having Enes Cantor as your end of bench big just shows the level of depth on that rotation. And you are right. I mean, at the end of the day, we're saying Neesmith needs to get minutes, but Romeo's been the better defensive piece. Romeo seems to be... Romeo's threes are falling at a more mm-hmm. consistent clip than what Neesmiths are. And look, this is a sophomore year for Neesmith and Pritchard. There's still plenty of time for these guys to figure it out and fight their way into the rotation. Uh, I personally believe that there's going to be a time in the not-so-distant future where there's going to be a tweet put out there that one or two of them have been assigned to the main Celtics for a game or two just to get their reps back up, give, you know, go down to Maine, drop a quick mm-hmm. 40, feel good about <laughs> yourself, come back, at least your confidence boosted because at the end of the day, for shooters more so than anybody, it's a rhythm thing. The reason for that sure. some of these veteran three-point snipers like what Kyle Korver was, like what JJ Redick was, the reason they get paid so much is because they've figured out how to stay in rhythm on minimal minutes. They can go two games with a DMP, come in and still shoot 30 to 45, like 34 to 42% from D. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're valuable pieces. That's why they were still earning money at an age where they basically didn't have the energy to run up and down the floor anymore. 
because that type of consistency with shooting is invaluable. So I definitely agree. Like at the end of the day, I like the eight, nine man rotation they've got running at the moment. I think that everybody brings value. Everybody brings a bit on offense, a bit on defense. Do I wish I saw more Pritchard and Neesmith? Yeah, I've been screaming about that for a few weeks. We all but do. <laughs> Udoka made a comment about it yesterday. Let me see if I've got it here. I want to see if I can pull it up real quick. Okay, yeah, I've got it. So Udoka said something yesterday which made me happy because it felt like he kind of understood what he had in these two guys, right? So he was like, bear with me. He felt, yeah. So talking about the first half, he was like, overall, I think we played a lot faster in the second half with a lot more effort. He told the team in in at halftime that he felt like they were stuck in the mud, especially offensively. But then what he wanted to do was emphasize playing faster. So he wanted to give the team a jolt. And by doing that, he brought in Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard to jumpstart the offense and then brought Ennis Cantor in just to give you a little bit more around the boards. And I think like that was solid understanding of what you've got in that team, right? Like, hey, we're playing well, but we don't really have that like je ne sais quoi. So what yeah. we need to do is we need to throw in some absolute crazy guys and just say, go, go cause chaos. Well, that's like uh, what, what do we call? We, we had a we had a podcast several weeks ago. I think we called it our white belt lineup, where it was just it was just organized chaos real, across a, across the court. So I would still like to see some more of that. But back to an original point that we had talked about. This is kind of the the evolution for for Ime as a rookie coach. Is you know he, I think early in the season right now he's been kind of pigeonholing. This is what we are and this is what we do. I think you called it, you know, trying to put a, a round peg into a square hole at one point or, you know, trying to trying to fit some, make something that doesn't fit. And so one of the things that Ime is starting to do and needs to be more comfortable with doing is making those adaptive decisions on the fly, knowing that, hey, like you said, to his point, we need a jolt. Uh, last night he was kind of forced to play Cantor, but maybe there's another role that Cantor plays later in the season when we're healthier. And it's like, you know what? We're getting banged up on these boards. We need five minutes of Enos Cantor to go in there and just cause havoc on the offensive and defensive boards. Shut that down right now. Maybe there's going to be a moment where we just need a whole bunch of ball handlers. And so we have a bunch of different ways that we can create that. So I think that's the the one thing that I'm I'm really trying to be cautious of looking for with Ime is how he's growing as a coach. We talk a lot about the players' growth and how they get better at one aspect or another. I think it's something that we don't always think about as much for coaches, but especially a rookie coach that has a ton of assistant coach experience, but you know, very little head coaching experience. I think that's something that I'm interested to see how he continues to develop throughout the year. It's crazy, man, because John Corrales was kind of pushing this um, during the press conferences yesterday. Um, so I, I, I'm not fortunate enough to be on them very often. I am from time to time, but generally they happen around about 3 a.m. in the morning for me and I'm <laughs> asleep. So, you know, it is what it is, right? But um, John asked them, he asked Hawthorne, he asked Tatum as well, what they're kind of seeing from Udoka's growth as a head coach. So exactly what you're looking for. And I, this is Horford's, like, I write down all these quotes anyway, so I'll read out Horford's for you. Just because you're looking for it, I feel like this is interesting. So Horford said he definitely thinks that um, Udoka is reading the game as it's going, like he's improving there, and he's continuing to establish how he wants the team to play defensively. They've made strides in that area and continue to get better. On offense, Udoka, and this is a quote, keeps harping on us to play the way <laughs> to play in a certain way. And in the second half, playing with more pace and more ball movement, it's a little bit more how Udoka envisions us to play, and it's a lot of fun when we play that way. So what he's saying is that first line, he's reading the game as it's going and continued to establish how he wants us to play, which means that he's starting to make those adjustments, realizing that, hey, 
you know, I think a big part of being a coach is seeing that somebody hasn't got it going or doesn't have it that night and making a difficult decision to shut that down early, you know? So you put Marcus Smart out there and Marcus Smart doesn't have that usual fire in his belly where you need to shut Marcus Smart down early and bring in Josh Richardson to fill that role. And then next time you put Smart in, hopefully being pulled early is going to have lit that fire for the rest of the game. And for me, that would be one of the more difficult aspects of being a coach. And as you say, it's making that adjustment as and when you need it. Yeah, it's a lot about managing uh, personalities and personas and, you know, trying to trying to make sure that you have the right mix of it. And that's where trying to get that buy in as a head coach, you know, making sure that you can make those authoritative decisions and not have the blowback that you have the respect to be like, hey, man, listen. Just not your night. Dennis is the one closing us out tonight. Or, hey, not your night. We're going with the the Jays, and we're going to go with all wings, or you know whatever the, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's it's really about having that buy in. So I'm excited to see where Eme takes it. You know, right now Celtics are back at 500. Not where you not not where we envisioned, but the East is just all types of upside down as it is. You know, we're playing the Hawks on uh, on the night of this recording. So as you guys are listening, maybe listen if you're on Facebook tomorrow night. Uh, if you're listening via podcast, probably tonight. And you know, they're another team that's been up and down and has disappointed to start of the season. So they're actually below the Celtics in the standings. And the Hawks were a team that a lot of people had pegged as, hey, this is going to be a top four team. They're taking what they did in the postseason and relaying that into this season. So, you know, it's it, it's interesting to see how this all will play out. But being 500, being just behind where we want to be, but but trending in the right direction is a, is a huge step for Ime and his development. So a moment ago, you said upside down, and I was so close to just jump in and say Stranger Things has happened. But that joke started <laughs> now, but I wanted to at least get it in there. Hey, the new like, season's coming out soon, so maybe not. Yeah. It's coming back. Yeah, I'm, I'm hyped, dude. I'm a big Stranger Things guy. Oh, um, you, actually, real quick, before we move on. So when, when Stranger Things comes out, are you a binge it that night? Because they release, like, you know, whatever it is, eight, nine episodes all yeah. at once. Do you bang it out all at once, or are you trying to pace it out? What's your style? So I tend to do, like, I'm not one to lose sleep for a tv show right okay like, i have times of non-renewable resources so i'm very much like it has to fit in with what i've got available to basically waste or spend if you want to look at time as a currency yeah. so um you know if it drops on a saturday then maybe i'll just blast out the whole season in a day if it drops on a weekday then i'm going to stretch that out over three or four days Okay, we're about the same boat. That that's usually how it how it goes for me. Is like, yeah, to your point, if it's a weekend release, it's like, yep, let's let's just get some good food. We're gonna order some some chicken wings, maybe yes, some sir. pizza. We're gonna get we're gonna get some nice food in here, some nice drink. We're just gonna make it a day. But if it's over, uh, if it's over a week, then it's usually a couple out, like three to four episodes, maybe maybe a night. We'll bang it out in about four or five days or less. And like. I'm I'm like that with a lot of different TV shows. There's very few that I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice sleep for this. Yeah. Like it just, does, it's rare for me. I will say I accidentally almost did that with one of the seasons of Stranger Things. This is back when oh, for real? it was, it was myself. It was Greg. We live, it was us two. And we had a third roommate and we got really excited that this came out. And the next morning we were supposed to do a, a 5k and the MS walk 5k that that's out here for a friend of ours has MS. And so we were going to support her and it starts at like 8am in the morning. So it's like early, you get out there, Ooh. you know, you do the walk, whatever, but <laughs> stranger things came out 
and I can't remember if it was season two or season three. And we just, it's one of the, you know, sometimes you just hit it and you're like, okay, one more. <laughs> And yeah. then you're like, you're like, okay, that's the last one. And then you all kind of like look around. It was like a really cool ending. And you're like, I got to know what happens to 11. One more. And then it just kept going until it got to like two, three in the morning. And it was like, all right, we, we really got to cut this off. We'll finish these last like two episodes tomorrow. But I've had a steamroll out of control before. So if it's that good, it could happen. I mean, I know Ted Lasso no, was kind of like that for you too. Yeah, Ted Lasso got destroyed, dude. We had, we, had, we had to delay podcast recordings for it. Do you know, I blame Brad Stevens for that. Why do you blame Brad Stevens for it? Because Brad Stevens was on a podcast that I listened to called um, Slapping Glass. And they have, they have like, a, it's very much an X's and O's based podcast. It's not one that talks about now. It's very much schematics. Mm-hmm. And along with like the mentality of coaching and stuff, it's mainly for coaches to listen to, to be honest. But I enjoy it. And Brad Stevens was on there and he was talking about his favorite Ted Lasso quotes. And I was like, do you know what? I've had enough of seeing all this Ted Lasso talk and never watching Ted Lasso. Like, let me real quick go peep this show. And then two seasons, like, what was it? Five days and two seasons later, I'm just like, uh, yo, this is this, this Five is days, two seasons, three delayed podcasts later, Ted Lasso was done for. <laughs> I mean, I was honest with y'all. I didn't just say. I know, I, I appreciate you know, it. I'm just saying. And, like, I mean, my and, and Greg and I and love the show too, so we understood it. Yeah, man. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not a big fan of your Big Bang Theory take, but there we go. Oh, dude, I'm, yeah, Big Bang Theory is a big, uh, a, a big thumbs down for your boy here. Yeah, I've watched every episode of every season at least four <sighs> times. I'm sorry, Adam. I feel bad for you. We digress. We went too <laughs> far away from basketball. Back to basketball. <laughs> You're talking about the Atlanta Hawks, man. I think that. Um, for me, one of the biggest questions will be is Rob Williams healthy? And I don't know yeah. if I said this on the podcast with Greg on Monday or if I said it on Vitamin C's that I do over on YouTube. I'm not sure which one I said it on. But I was very much saying that one of Rob's biggest tests is going to be going up against Clint Capella. I think that Rob has been one of the most consistent guys this year. And you like people. I don't want people or I don't like seeing it when people are like, oh, I want to see how Rob does against Embiid or I want to see how he does against Anthony Davis. Like, you, you, if we're setting the measuring stick for Robert Williams as Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis, I think that bar's been set a little bit too high, personally. Yeah. I think that's too soon, too high. Now, Clint Capella, in my opinion, is the best rim-running big in the NBA. I don't think there's a better rim-running than Clint Capella. Robert Williams is in a similar mold. And, to, and I classify as a rim-runner as somebody that protects the rim, runs down, sets the screen, pressures the rim with some vertical spacing and some low-dunker spot presence. I think Clint Capella does that fantastically. So seeing yeah. how Rob would control Clint Capella and who would win that individual matchup between those two, that was like super intriguing for me. And um, I was like really looking forward to that tomorrow night or tonight if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, and obviously we don't know whether that's going to happen right now. Yeah, but really I've, I've been trying to check it. for that now as you're talking. I haven't seen any any updates on that quite yet in live time. But, but to your point, I think it's like the present versus the future almost because that's – like Clint Capella, like to your other point of, of Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, these, you know, quote unquote unicorn centers, even though that word's probably a little overused at this point, that's not really who Rob is. You know, you and I, I remember last year a lot, Adam, we talked a lot about, you know, at the time of do you extend Rob? What is the right price to extend Rob? The way that we both kind of aligned and envisioned Rob is he can be one of those top tier two centers because those tier one guys are the guys that are you know the the ones that are those quote-unquote unicorns that are just they live in a different stratosphere and i don't think rob's that guy but being those top tier two centers i think think clinton capella is a guy that lives in that area 
And that's always been, you know, a guy who I envisioned Rob should be emulating his game after. And Rob's probably actually a better passer than Clint Capella. And so there's different areas of their game that, that Rob may even be a little bit better at. But being that that screener, that rim runner, that rim protector, that feels like Rob. Uh, I know on Greg and I's other show, we had Jonathan Charks of The Ringer on. That's exactly where his mind is at. He really focuses on young guys and the draft and who they may you know, turn out to be. And that, that was his vision or his comparison as well, is that Clint Capella is who Rob Williams can be in the future. So I, was, I really hope he's able to play, because uh, I would love to see, to your point, you know, like you have those measuring stick games. We talk a lot more about this with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because we think of, okay, we're playing the Bucks and they have Giannis and Chris Middleton. We have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. How do they respond? You know, right now, probably Giannis and, and Chris Middleton being NBA champions, you would put them as far as a duo slightly ahead. But how do you respond when you have that challenge in front of you? So I think for Rob, this would have been a really great challenge. I hope it's one that can still happen. And it will be it will be probably honestly the matchup of the game is, is probably a little bit of the two of them depending on if Rob's able to give it a go. Yeah, and I mean, if you remember, like go back, do you remember when Capella was available from um, Houston, and the Celtics were rumored to be like kind of interested? I do. Lot, His name kept popping up. Who who was, was a lot that of we were trading? Back, right? Yeah. There, there was, and I can't. So I think part of it had to do with who would have gone to Houston. Was it a market? Yeah. Was it one of those market smart rumors, or was probably? It, I don't... But Clint Capella's <laughs> name was pulled up a bunch, and yeah. I remember a lot of pushback was being, "Well, you've just drafted Robert Williams. Why would you want to go and get an older version of Robert Williams?" And I'm kind of circling back to you saying, like, you know, Jonathan Sharks focuses on the draft. He thinks it's Clint Capella. This individual matchup is a great measuring stick for Rob. But there was a time when. The Celtics were looking for exactly what Rob brings. They felt they needed that, and they needed that ASAP. Now, obviously, that never turned out to be the case. They've developed that rather than traded to bring it in. But back to the point again, we need to see how far along Rob Williams is against the player that is the pinnacle of that role. You know what I mean? Like putting, As you say, putting him up against unicorns is ridiculous. Putting him up against the best player in the role that he projects to like hold long-term is a fantastic way to see right, Rob is here and where is he going to finish. Just to bring up another point from our boy John over on Facebook, he said that he fit, so John feels that the Seas have to add some more athletic interior support for Rob. And it's got a big body verse Embiid. Moses Brown could have helped. I was a big Moses Brown fan in terms of potential. Uh, I don't know if you read that piece, but if you didn't, then I'll send it to you. It's a masterpiece. And then Bruno against his former team as one of the more athletic options. I like the idea of adding another athletic big, but I do think that the Celtics are in a really good spot right now. They can mix and match their big man rotation for anything another team can throw at them apart from a superstar big. And only yeah. two other teams, I, I, I class it as this three or four superstar bigs, like, start, like ridiculously good. Jokic, Embiid, AD, Carl Anthony Towns. They're my four. You know, I'm probably missing a guy. because If you want to throw Bam in there, maybe. Yeah, I think Bam's like the top of the next tier. That's and fine. he's trying to break in, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, if you've got one of those four guys, then the only teams that are dealing with you in, in that position on a matchup basis are one of the other four teams. You yeah. Or the other three teams. Yeah, and I think I think for the Celtics, I'm happy to go to, when healthy, I am happy to go to battle with the front court that we currently have. Because I think it's, it, it's such a hard effort to try and go find somebody that's going to fit into that group that you just mentioned. You know, that's why the Cavs took Evan Mobley second. You know what I mean? They're hoping 
that that he grows into that role. And you could see, you know, just in the two games, he, unfortunately, he's now out with an injury for two to four weeks, but uh, which is why he left the game early last night. But you could see some of the glimpses of those unicorny things that that Evan Mobley has a chance to do. Of course, he's got to grow into that body a little bit more. But, you know, trying to find those guys, it's 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 really, really tough to do. So if you can have the versatility of a veteran like Al Horford, if you can have the athleticism of Robert Williams and you can have the the big body that is Enos Cantor, like you have different ways that you can you can at least match up with those guys in different scenarios, give them different looks. Doesn't mean you're going to stop them. But if you can't find them, having multiple answers, I think, is the way to go. And if this team's healthy, that's actually one of the few areas that I'm not super concerned about, especially when you look at throughout the first 14 games. Rob and Al check the boxes as easily the two most consistent players on this team. So I think if you have the two of them by the time the playoffs come around and they're healthy and they're a full go, I have no qualms with with that being who the Celtics go to battle with. And there's other parts of the team that I may look to upgrade throughout the season. Um, I feel pretty confident with them heading heading into the playoffs, even though that's looking very far down the road at this point. There was a piece that Kevin O'Connor wrote last season. And or maybe like it was a while ago, but I always whenever we're having these discussions, I come back to it. And that that piece was called "Big Men by Committee: The Evolution of the NBA's Big Rotation," or it was along those lines. Yeah. And it was basically exactly the way you just broke it down. If you do not possess one of the best four or five bigs in the league, you need a multitude of guys, three or four guys that can each fill a very specific role for you that you can plug and play when you need it. So as you said, you've got the athleticism from Rob, the veteran savvy in floor spacing, passing from Al Horford. You've got the rebounding from Ennis Cantor. And then to go a step further, you've got that small ball five in Grant Williams or Jabari Parker. You see what I mean? So they're doing it well there. Uh, I know that people are saying advocates for Moses Brown should go look at his stats. So I wasn't focused on stats when I'd done the Moses Brown breakdown. I went back and watched every possession he had since coming into the NBA. And I was looking more at the projection of how he could develop rather than who he was at that moment in time. At that moment in time, and as he is right now, he was not going to be a difference maker for Boston. As a potential piece in the future, he could have worked out to be you know, a second or third big man on the rotation that cost you barely anything because he was just a throw in a trade. So I just wanted to clear that up. Uh, I don't know. You read that piece. Was you a fan of Moses Brown after I wrote that piece? I was, but I mean, the, the way I looked at Moses Brown, to your point, it was a it was a projection. It wasn't who he was. I mean, that Oklahoma yeah. City team was essentially a G League team. They they lost, I think, twenty four out of twenty six. Unfortunately, one Celtics for one of those losses, and Moses Brown put up like twenty something rebounds. But you know, M- Moses to me at the time, for the brief period that we had him. To me, that was, oh, nice. Hey, we traded our, our draft pick. Moses Brown will act as our draft pick for this year. Exactly. And that will be kind of how we, we we supplement, you know, our roster going forward. Then obviously there were other moves that happened. But, you know, Moses Brown was a nice piece. He was a guy that, you know, I think once um, – you know, once Al was was back in the fold and Rob Williams, he would have he would have been playing the the Enos Cantor Bruno Fernando role anyway. So exactly. I, I I don't think it's a big difference maker for where we're at in the season. And I would just say I would like to end the Moses Brown discussion here. Sorry that advocates for Moses Brown should go look at his stats. Comment was from Dan Meek on Facebook. That's what led us down this road. But I will end that um, Moses Brown talk. We've just saying he never had a bad game for the Boston Celtics. Tell me how many Celtics players can say that? Never had a bad game. Adam, do you, still have, do you still have your Moses Brown jersey? 
I didn't buy him as Brian Chesney. <laughs> I thought he might have sent you one after that great article you I, wrote. I mean, he should have. I mean, Johan Begarin needs to send me one now. If anyone didn't read that masterpiece that dropped yesterday, if you want to see what he's doing over in France. Uh, and if you do, then again, my socials are on the screen. Will's socials are on the screen. We share this stuff. We, we like to share the wealth. I think that pretty much wraps us up. We could go in. I do want to just quickly mention that I really, 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 really hope LeBron is healthy for Friday for yeah. two reasons. One, I don't want to hear Lakers fans saying you beat us without LeBron if it happens. You know what I mean? And for two, Tatum always, I want someone, I feel like this is, and again, I'm going to go back to a Dragon Ball Z reference. So if you don't watch Dragon Ball Z, then um, I apologize. I'm a huge Dragon Ball Z fan. And I'm going to go to Dragon Ball Super where Goku's getting beat up in the, um, in the, like in the fight, in the tournament. And he's losing, and he's losing, and then all of a sudden, he gets beat up that badly, he, he unlocks Ultra Instinct. And he comes to this whole new level of Super Saiyan, and then he goes ahead and wins. And I feel like that's exactly what Tatum needs right now. He needs to be put in a position against a player of such a, a high skill level and a high caliber and a prestige that he gets beat off the dribble, he gets beat and beat and beat, and then eventually, around about the third quarter, he's just going to tap into that instinct rather than step playing in his head, as we spoke about at the beginning, where he's overthinking, tap into that instinct and then go for 50. And I think that could be the turning point for Tatum. But if they don't have LeBron, nobody pushes him far enough to make him have to dig into that instinct level. Yeah, I I don't know what the hell you're talking about with Dragon Ball Z, but for Jason Tatum... The one, if you think back to his last couple games against the Lakers, to your point of having that additional set, when he busts out that purple wristband in honor of Kobe, he's had some pretty good games against the Lakers over the last few years, dropping 40 points multiple times. So I think you may be on to something. Maybe that's the game that gets Jason Tatum out of that shooting slump. I think his overall game has been pretty solid this year. It's just that shooting, which I, I know you put it up on, I think, his Instagram, his, his shooting over the first 14 games of each year of his career. This is certainly an outlier, and maybe it's maybe it's that LeBron James game that will get him back on track. Do you know what? We'll, we'll end on his shooting numbers. I've got them right in front of me now, and we'll end on this because I've done the outro with the intro. So 2017 to 18, he shot 48.9% from the field, 47.6% from three. Now, these numbers, sorry to give you context now, I should have done it at the beginning, are all within the first 14 games of a season. Not the whole season, just his first 14, which brings us up to exactly where we are now. So these numbers all correlate in terms of games played. 18 to 19, shot 40.9% from the field, 40% from three. 19 to 20, 41.2% from the field, 39.1% from three. 2020 to 2021, 48.3 from the field, 43.1 from three. And that brings us to this year. 38.6 from the field. It's a bit of a drop, you know, but, you know, it's still... And 31.6 from three, which is the absolute slap. So hope he needs something to force him out of this slump. And who better to do it than LeBron James? The only other person I can think of is Paul George. He loves going up against Paul George. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's just the L.A. thing. Maybe it's the L.A. thing. So we'll see what happens. As long as it's, he loves going up against these guys and doesn't want to play with these guys, yeah. I'm completely fine with it. I agree. Hopefully, hopefully LeBron will be out of the league by the time, uh, by the time Tatum's con- next contract is up. So if you've made it this far in the show from the beginning, then you would have heard me do the usual outro as the intro. Unfortunately, I don't know any other way to close out a show. So we're going to do it again. What I've, I know twice in a day, you're so lucky.
if you've been enjoying this show, if you like this show and you're on an Apple device, hit that follow button. It used to be subscribe. Now it says follow. Go figure. Press that. Scroll all the way down. There's going to be five stars. There's going to be empty at the moment. I want you to press the fifth star. They'll all fill up gold and it'll look like you've just back at kindergarten and you've done some fantastic work and teachers gave you five stars. Then scroll a little bit further down and you can leave like a nice little message about why you think we deserve five stars. If you don't want to give five stars, then please don't give any because it's really going to hurt my feelings. If you're not using an Apple device, well, then Will is going to tell you who and why you should tell about this show. You should tell every single person you come in contact with that is a Celtics fan. So if you are a Celtics fan, your mother, your father, your daughter, your son, your cousin, your second cousin, they may have another cousin, so a third cousin. Tell everybody that you're talking to, all the cousins, all the family, all the friends. Tell them all, round them all up, and tell them to come check out Adam, Will, and Greg on the Celtics Blog Podcast. While you're there, please make sure you see our little social names here. Go follow us on all of those social media channels, and you will not be disappointed. We will be back again on Friday, only in podcast format. So if you are watching on Facebook, make sure to go and follow us, so you know, in we're everywhere, so just follow us somewhere and you can get involved there. And we will catch you Friday after the Celtics get a W against Atlanta. Fingers crossed. Hopefully not jinxing it. And before they go and get the dub against the Lakers, again, fingers crossed. Hopefully not jinxing it. Everybody have a good day. Stay safe. We'll catch you all soon. Disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless. Every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with 